Corinthians chapter 2, if you will. Uh, this morning, the message is called The Bible Project. I, we talked a little bit about it last week in our congregational meeting. I just want to teach about some of it, give you an idea of where I'm coming from, and kind of what we, I'd like to see us do as a local assembly, as, some, as, as a group of folks who know that we do have the Word of God in a King James Bible, as someone who as a group of folks who do understand the word rightly divided, who trust it, believe it, and teach it, proclaim it, and part of it, and just some of that responsibility that kind of falls on us to uh, maintain and to do and to keep the King James Bible in what, is, what was one time said wonderfully, the marketplace of ideas, and uh, we'll never win in the marketplace of commerce. Because the new Bibles and all can out, will outspend. It was a time when the King James Bible was the number one selling Bible uh, in, in, in America or in the world. It was the number one selling book. And not anymore because of the cost and everything. So we'll lose in that marketplace of, of um, commerce. But we should never lose in the marketplace of ideas. And that's a wonderful thing to kind of think about and the kind of sea. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse number 17, the Apostle Paul writes here, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in in the sight of God speak we in Christ. That issue there of corrupting the word of God, uh, it it always catches me. It's it's always a fascinating thing about what Paul is talking about. He's talking about not corrupting the text, okay? Getting in there and messing with the words on the page and the text. Three times in Israel's history, God warns Israel not to mess with the book. He does it in Deuteronomy, he does it in Proverbs, and he does it again at the end in the book of the Revelation. He does it here with us in the body of Christ. Don't mess with the book. Because how does God communicate to us? Through his word. So we have to have what? His word. We have to have that. So when we think about this and we're looking at this, come over with me to um, 2 Timothy 3, Matthew chapter 22. 2 Timothy 3, let's start there. Okay? Um, This past year we did 24 lessons in a seminar setting about the, the King James Bible. We looked and talked about the doctrine of inspiration. We looked and talked about the doctrine of preservation, and then we looked at the history of the King James Bible and how we got to the King James Bible, that over 100 years and so forth, the King James Bible didn't just show up. It's the fruit, the byproduct of a whole 100 years of men working and, and, and doing and, uh, and putting together and copying and translating the Bible, okay? And the Bible that we use today, the 17... 69, I always, I always want to say 96, but you know today is 0202 2020. You can re- flip that around, you know, either way, you, it says the same thing. And one of those, you know, then at, at 2 a.m., 02 a.m., 02, you had the date and time and all that together. Just kind of one of those interesting things. Doesn't mean anything. 2 Timothy 3, if you will, just to get you to find 2 Timothy 3. Verse number 15 and 16 here. Uh, verse 16, let's just read that. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. 
for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. You see how he says the scripture is given by inspiration? There's a doctrine of inspiration. God spoke the words. There's a doctrine of revelation, inspiration, preservation, and illumination. Four things. Inspiration and revelation go together. Revelation, God revealed himself, and he did it through words. Okay? God spoke the words. Man then writes them down. That's inspiration. Moses, write it in a book. Isaiah, write it in a book. Boom, there it is, and he writes it down. Then preservation, by the way, inspiration, God giving his word, demands preservation. Because God spoke it, he's going to keep it. So then preservation and illumination and translation all work together. Okay, Inspiration and revelation are done. Preservation, illumination is ongoing. Because that begins to be with us. If you, if you look there at verse 15. 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul talking to Timothy, and that thou from a child hast known the, what? Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus, all Scripture is given. Timothy, does Timothy have the originals? He's got copies. But what did Paul call them? What did the Holy Spirit, through the pen of Paul, call that copy? Holy Scripture. So come back to Matthew 22. So when we think about, and by the way, I'm taking 24 hours of information and condensing it down hopefully here in about 40 minutes, 45 minutes, okay? So for the more detail, I encourage you to go and see the, the study, the, the seminar and everything. Um, there's other guys out there that have stuff that are hundreds and hundreds of hours um, fine if you want to spend that. I don't, I'm not that way. Let's keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> Let's keep it right in front of me where I can handle it. Um, Matthew 22. So when we, I just really to remind you, when we come to Scripture, when you open the Word of God, the King, and by the way, when I say Word of God, I'm talking about the King James Bible, okay? When we open that book, when we read it, whether we're reading the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Prophets, the Psalms, the law, wherever, we are literally standing face to face with God himself as if he is talking to us. Okay? That's how important this book is. Because the book, the living word and the written word, we've done this in the past, they, one saves, the other one saves, one condemns, the they go hand in hand. And you can't get rid of one to get rid of the other. They're together. So you have this issue of, if you think about it and you remember that when you're dealing with that word, it is literally, you are standing there face to face as if you're having a conversation with God himself. That takes the Bible into a whole new thought process, going, uh-oh, now what happens? Matthew 22, the Lord is dealing here with, um, helps to be in the right passage with the Sadducees, and he's dealing with the leadership in Israel. Verse 23, the same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and ask him, saying, Master, and he begins to discourse with them. Verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures. Now what did the Sadducees have in their hand? 
a copy of the scriptures. He calls it scriptures. So the Lord's attitude about the copy is going to be that it is scripture, holy scripture, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Now watch verse 31. Here's the verse. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. He quotes Exodus chapter 3. Okay? In verse 31 is probably one of the clearest verses and the clearest statements on the issue of inspiration and preservation. And the fact is, is that when you read the Word of God, you're reading the very words that God said when you read that copy. Have ye not read? Well, what would they have in front of them? Moses is read daily in the synagogues. How do they read Moses daily? They got copies of it. And he says, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God? The very inspiration, the very words that came from God, he spake them, he put them out there, and then he preserved them. You with me? Okay. So in the issue of all of this, come over to Psalms chapter 12. There is some things here that, and again, I'm reviewing this for us, for some of us, and for some of us maybe you have not thought about this. Psalms chapter 12. There are really basically three areas. You've got the promise. You've got the promise. There's a process. And there's a people. Okay? Now, we're real quickly going to go through one and two because my focus is going to be on three. Psalms 12, verse 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation for how long? Forever. Isn't that interesting? What did he promise to preserve? His words forever. Psalms 33. I tried to stay in the same book. It didn't work, but I tried. Psalms 33. Psalms 33 and verse number um, 11. Psalms 33, verse 11. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his hearts to all generations. The counsel of the Lord stands for how long? Forever. Now come to 119. Psalms 119. Thinking about that counsel of the Lord. Where do we find the counsel of the Lord? In His Word. And it's going to stand for how long? Forever. Psalms 119, verse number 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. Isn't that interesting? Teach me the what? The statutes, the counsel. The commandments. Verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled. Where? Where is it settled? 
It's it doesn't say it's settled on the earth. It's settled where? Where he is. Why? Because he's the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John 1.1. 1, 1. Okay? But it's settled there, and what did he do? He reached down and took deity language and the humanity language, and he gave, them, gave us his word. Uh, 152. 100, uh, 152. By the way, if you stop at 105... Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's why this is so important. Verse 130. The entrance of thy words giveth life, light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. That's fascinating. The word is important. Why? Because it gives light and it gives understanding. 152. Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. 160, the word, thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. The promise of preservation. Come over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. You know this one. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Well, if it's not going to pass, it's got to be there for how long? <laughs> Forever. The jot and the tittle are the Hebrew little accents, marks, and the little extensions on, on it, on, on the lettering and everything. Guess what? He preserves all of that. Uh, come over to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. So my point is, is he has a promise, and what's he going to do? He's going to keep it forever. So that means that it's got to be there, so he has a process. Before we get into process, 1 Peter 1, verse 23 to 25. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower fadeth uh, thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. How long is that word going to last? Forever. That's his promise. Okay? Now, there's a ton of other verses you can go look at and so forth, but I think you got the idea of the promise. Then he has a process. Come back with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Um, Exodus first. Let's go to Exodus. In the process. Okay, Lord, you promised you're going to preserve your word. How are you going to preserve your word? And what's the mechanism? And if I can just say it to you, he's going to preserve his word through the use of a multiplicity of copies. He is not interested in the originals. The originals are not the issue. By the way, if we had the originals, do you know where they would be? At the Smithsonian, under lock and key, you'd have to pay 25 bucks a head to get in to see it. Because that's what we do. Charge you money. And it would be just as if, the con just like the Constitution and all that, you can see it, but you can't touch it. The I that's not the idea. We're going to see it as we go through this process and the people here. Because what's the, what's the process? copies so that the people have the book. Exodus 34, verse 27. 
Exodus 34, 27. <clears throat> That's not the right one. Yeah, it is. Exodus 34, 27. I was looking at 22. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words, for after the tenor of these words I have made a covenant with thee and with Israel. And he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the table the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. What happened with Moses when he got the Ten Commandments? He goes down the hill and they're having a little party down there. What did he do with that original ten? Smashed them. Boom. And you know what God said? Oh my goodness, what did you do? we got to have the bag. <laughs> no. He said, Moses, come back up here. Bring two more tables and we're going to rewrite them. And guess what? The rewrite, the copy was just like the original. Come over to Deuteronomy chapter 10. You see, God's not concerned with the originals because what's his promise? We're gonna, it's going to endure forever, and i got a mechanism, and we're going to make copies of it. And if we have a whole bunch of copies out there, when the error pops up, guess what we can do? We can use the copies to get rid of the error. Deuteronomy 10. In Deuteronomy, Moses has come up to the, the, to the promised land. They send 12 spies in. They come back. The 12 spies give their report of, no, we can't go in there. They're big guys, giants. It's not going to happen. Moses and, and uh, the guy, um, Joshua and Caleb, I was trying to think of Caleb, they say, yes, we can because the Lord's on our side. We can do it. And the other 10 say no. So the Lord says, no. Until this generation dies off, no, we ain't going in there. So in Deuteronomy, the old generation has died off. The new one is ready to go in. So Deuteronomy, give it again. He's giving the law again. Deuteronomy 10, verse 1. At the time the Lord said unto me, Moses is talking, Hew thee two tables of stones like unto the first, and come up unto me into the mountain, and make thee an ark of the wood. And I will write on the tables the words that were in the first table, which thou breakest, and thou shalt put them in the ark. And he wrote on the tables according to the first writing. Isn't that interesting? He just made a copy. But now he puts it in the ark, the ark of the covenant he made. He's going to put that ark in, he's putting that book in there, because now they're going to add to the book as they go through history. So that book becomes not just Moses' writings and the law, but now it becomes the prophets and the Psalms and the Proverbs, and they begin to add to it. Look at verse 9. <clears throat> verse 9, verse 8. At that time, so the time here when he told Moses what we're going to do, at that time, the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord to minister unto him and to bless in his name unto this day. Wherefore, Levi hath no part nor inheritance with his brethren. The Lord is his inheritance, according as the Lord thy God promised him. What happened there? The Lord says, hey, I got a process. We're going to make some copies. We're going to make the promise of forever. We're going to make some copies. And I'm going to, my people for the Old Testament for Israel is going to be the, is going to be the tribe of Levi. 
and they're the ones that are on the hook. Come on over to chapter of Deuteronomy, chapter 31. Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy 31. We're at the end here, towards the Moses' song and the end of Moses' days, and he's about to die, and Joshua's going to take over. Moses cannot go into the promised land because he broke the word of God. When the Lord told Moses to speak to the rock, Moses hit the rocks, causing a and picture the Lord being crucified two times, and that's a violation, and boom, so you got all that going on. Deuteronomy 31, verse 9. And Moses wrote this law, the law given here, and delivered it unto the priest, the sons of Levi, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and unto all the elders of Israel. Where did Moses go? He went right to the tribe of Levi and said, here's the law. Verse 24. Verse 24. And it came to pass when Moses had made an end of writing the words of this law in a book until they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and put it in the side of the ark of the, of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be therefore a witness against thee. Now, there's an issue with the Ark of the Covenant you have to understand. That Ark of the Covenant had cherubs sitting on the top. It's going to sit in the Holy of Holies. Once a year, the high priest brought in the sacrifice and put on that cher and the cherubs. Because what was in the Ark of the Covenant? The broken law. They had broken the law. And that blood did what? Covered that up. As God looked down at Israel... He saw the blood before he saw the broken law. What's in the, what's in the covenant? The book. Come back to Deuteronomy 17. See, folks, the, the, the God Almighty takes his word serious. He says, I've exalted my name above every name. Then he says, I've exalted my word above my name. He takes his word very serious. Deuteronomy 17. Verse number 14. <clears throat> when thou art come into the land, again, this is Moses talking to that new generation, and he's giving them the details of what's going to happen. When thou come into the land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me. They want to have a king. So he's going to give the rules here about the king, and what's going to make the king. You know, he, he's going to not have wives, multiple wives. He's going to do all this stuff. Verse 18. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he, the king, shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priest of the Levites. And he shall be with him, and it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the word of this law and the statutes to do them, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandments to the right hand or to the left, to the end, that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. What's, that king, what's the first thing that king goes and does? He goes to the Levites... The Levites pull out the law. The king sits and makes himself a copy. 
Have you ever done that? Have you ever looked at something and wrote it out and you remember it because you wrote it out rather than reading it? He's going to sit there and in his judgment, come over to Psalm 68, and he's going to say, hey, I made a copy. And in my copy, I remember something about some, this or whatever, and he runs over there and he looks at it. He studied that thing up. Psalm 68. Look at verse number 11. 68, 11. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published it. Wow, what a verse. He gave the word. But I, I love that, that verse has stuck in my mind for years. Great was the company of those that published it. Who published the Old Testament? The Levites did. The believing remnant in Israel did. God gave his word. God wants his word published out and abroad. He wants it out there. How's he going to do it? Going to make a copy. The Levites would sit and make a copy. They're commanded in other places, time-wise, to go and to make a copy. And, and they were to... Um, to do, <laughs> so, just so much stuff, folks. It, it, where to cut and where to what to show you. A copy. Come over to Matthew 24. We're, we're just going to do it. The game isn't until what six o'clock tonight. <laughs> four thirty. Okay, four thirty. We'll be done by four. Actually, I have a meeting at three, so we'll be done at three. Okay, Matthew 24. I'm just I'm just kidding, man. You guys got to relax. Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, the Lord is giving a discourse here to the believing remnant, to the 12 apostles, about the future and the second coming of the Lord. Verse 15, this is all tribulation stuff. This is all stuff that's going to happen out there in the trib as that kingdom is introduced and brought in at the second coming and so forth. Verse 15, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, watch, whosoever readeth, let him understand. First of all, they got to have the book of Daniel in the tribulation, okay? They got to have the ability to read it to understand it. That's the believing remnant, okay? Matthew 16, then let them, which be in Judea, flee into the mountains. How in the world did they know to flee in the mountains? Because the book of Daniel tells them to flee to the mountains, get out of town. It's time to go, trouble's coming. Over there in the, in the Hebrew epistles, he says, remember Job. Job is preached to them in the tribulation. You know what they got in front of them? Job. They got the book. In Luke 4, when the Lord stands and they bring him the Old Testament, he's reading a copy of the Old Testament. And they're looking at it. And he's, 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 he's like, here, this is the Old Testament. And he quotes Isaiah, he reads Isaiah, he reads the prophets, the Psalms and all that. He tells them in Luke 24, you remember the Psalms and the prophets and the law and everything that they said about me, I just fulfilled it all. Don't you know, he, he, they've got it. 2 Peter 3, Peter turns and he, he brings up Paul's epistles. You know the verses. How does Peter have Paul's epistles? He's got copies of them. They've been on the train. Come over to Romans 3. 
I'm, I'm slimming down you running the verses so we can get... What's going on? He's got a promise to preserve them. The process is through copying. Get the old Xerox out and let's go. Boom, boom, and copying. and co Because when we have the copies, then what can we do? We can publish it abroad. We can put it out there for everyone. Okay? And he's using people to do it. He's going to use a, a group of people to come along and to do it. Romans 3, verse 1. What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of the circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Wow. They the word of God, the oracles of God. That's Psalms 149, if you want to see a fascinating little passage. Psalms 149, sorry, 147, 147, verse 19 and 20, he said, He showeth his word unto Jacob, his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation. He didn't give his word to anyone but Jacob and Israel. And as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. He didn't go out there and give them to anybody else. He gave them to the circumcision. By the way, that's very specific. That's that believing remnant. That's that believing element. The folks that are going to come along and say, you know what? We need the word of God. Come back with me to Deuteronomy. In the Old Testament... The Levites were the ones in charge of taking care of making the copies. Uh, what did I tell you? Just Deuteronomy? Okay, that's good. Look at Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy 4. You see, folks, the Word of God, the Old Testament, was given to the nation of Israel... And the Levites were the ones in charge of processing it out and making sure everyone had it. Deuteronomy chapter 4, this is, one of, this is the first place where God warns Israel not to mess with the book. Remember I told you that when we got started. The other one is in Proverbs 30, and then the other one's in Revelation 22. But notice Deuteronomy 4 and verse number 2. Ye shall not add, verse 1, now, no, uh, now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them, that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. They were not going to do what with the book? They weren't going to mess with it. For someone to pop up and say, oh, hey, we got a better translation over here of that word, they would have killed the guy. They wouldn't have dealt, they would not have been very sympathetic towards them because they have the book. Come, o come over to Deuteronomy 31, where we were just a minute ago. Deuteronomy 31. <coughs> Deuteronomy 31. Verse 
Deuteronomy 31. You start there about verse 9. And Moses wrote this law and delivered it unto the priest of the sons of Levi, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord and unto all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, in the solemnity of the year of release, in the feast of the tabernacle, when all Israel is come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which ye shall choose, he shall choose, thou shalt read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Verse 19. Now therefore write ye this song for you, and teach it the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. What were those priests to do? In the seven years of release, the Feast of the Tabernacle, they were to stand up and start reading the law. They were to put it into the mindset. Second Chronicles 15, they are to be a teaching priest, the verse calls them. You go over Malachi chapter 2, and their lips should be lips that hold knowledge. That's what they were to be doing. The Old Testament was to be preserved through the nation of Israel, particularly through the tribe of the Levites, and that's the responsibility was placed on them to maintain it. But what about us today? Because Israel has been set aside. What is the design today? Well, we know he's, the promise is still there. We know he's still using copies. But the people are going to change. And the people are going to become the church, the body of Christ. And we're going to thin that even down here a little bit. Come with me, if you will, to 2 Peter 3 again. We, we didn't look at it. I mentioned it a minute ago. But I want you to see something. Sec By the way, if the word wasn't given to the nations back there, and yet we have the nations have it today, you and I are in a position that no one else has ever been in, and that we have a completed word of God in our language. No one has ever been in that position until the Apostle Paul put his pen down at the end of 2 Timothy. That's, we are a blessed people because we have the completed word. We're not waiting for little nuggets to drop out of heaven. We've got it. Second, the people changed. A different group of people today are charged with the responsibility. The design, the, the promise, the process stays the same. But the people are going to change. In the early days of the body of Christ, he used the group, the, the gift that was given called the prophet. The prophet's job in the local assembly as they would sit and the men would sit and Paul would write and they would come to him. He would say, hey, this is scripture and that's not. The Corinthians, Paul wrote to the Corinthians at least four times. We only have two books in our Bible. What happened to the other two? They weren't scripture. They were just exhortations. The gift of the prophet given to them by the Holy Spirit said, that's not, that is. The Colossians, we're going to see it in a minute, mentions the epistle to the Laodiceans. Where is that book at? We don't have it. Rome probably has it in the Vatican down in the basement. Probably. 
but they ain't going to let it out anytime soon. But you know what I know? The prophet said, that ain't scripture. That goes on the bulletin board for everybody to read. This is scripture. How do I know that? Because about 30 verses that we're not looking at right now, okay? The gifts of the prophets ceased. When did they cease? 1 Corinthians 13. When that which is in part was made what? Perfect, whole, complete. When the book comes to a completion, guess what went away? All that gift-giving stuff stopped. It ceased. Ephesians 4, you've got to watch the timing. Till we come into the unity of the faith. What is the unity of the faith? It isn't us all getting along. The unity of the faith is that word of God is complete. Where are we? You guys follow that? I hope you do. Do we need to look at the verse? Look. No? Okay. I'm trusting you. All right? Second, Second Peter 3. Peter now, he's off finishing up his epistles, complete this book. By the way, you know what all that tells you is that by the end of 2 Timothy, the whole canon of Scripture was done. That means Revelation wasn't written late. It was actually written early. That means the Hebrew epistles were finished before Paul was finished. And I know people like to get in arguments about it, but I'm going to tell you what. When Paul says, I, my job was to fulfill the word of God, to complete the word of God, then all that other stuff is done. In Acts 15, when Peter looks at the, the people and says, God is visiting the Gentiles, and we're going to go to the circumcision now, he stopped what he was doing, sat down and wrote out the rest of his books. James wrote James. John writes John and, and finishes up Jude. Write, they are literally done by the end of Acts 28. They have to be, because Paul gets done writing shortly thereafter. And you can disagree with me all you want. You can be wrong all you want. That was a joke. Lighten the mood. All right? And I'll be honest with you. I've heard a thousand different arguments about it. Well, how do you justify it? I don't have to justify anything. Because I believe that verse when he says, I fulfilled the word of God, then it's done. And the historians and the preterists and all the goofballs out there want to do other stuff. It chaps my, can you tell it chaps my height? <laughs> it just gets underneath there and it's like, you know what? You don't believe the verse. you got to have an excuse. I believe the verse. I have no excuse. Okay? Second Peter 3. Peter sits here and he brings up verse 15. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him as he hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles. What does Peter have? He's got all the epistles available at the time. Notice, how did he get them all? Well, what was made? Well, the church, the body of Christ, is doing their job, wasn't he? Making copies. Come over to 1 Timothy 4. Boy, i got to hurry up, man. I told myself, don't get fired up, but that don't work. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. You see, folks, Paul's epistles were going to be preserved by multiplicity of copies, and that believing remnant and the church, the body of Christ, was doing it. Okay? The prophet's job is done. It's over. It's coming to a conclusion. The identification of the scriptures is coming to a conclusion. Now we're going to make copies. 1 Timothy 4. Notice, if you will, verse 13. Till I come. Timothy is at Ephesus. 
Paul is out movement and traveling. He says, until I come, give attendance to what? To reading, to exhortation, to what? To doctrine. Verse 15, meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continuing, what did Timothy have sitting on the shelf, in, on the desk in front of him? He had Paul's epistles. He had the doctrine. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have said, read. He'd have said, listen. Get your tape recorder out, quick. He said, read chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. 17, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the labor is, is worthy of his reward. Paul, talking about taking care of the, of the guys, the, 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 the bishops and the elders that are studying and working in the word, so that they're not, they don't have to worry about making a living over here on the side. But he quotes Deuteronomy. And he quotes Luke chapter 10. Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. That's Deuteronomy 25 verse 4. And he quotes, and the labor is worthy of his reward. That's Luke 10, verse 7. That's Matthew 10, verse 10. So guess what Paul had when he wrote this passage? He had the Gospels. Oh, my goodness. They didn't written and written in AD 90. Oh, no. Why? Because Paul's got it right there. Listen, folks, you, you giggle, and I'm with you. I giggle, too. But there are people, good people, who take this stuff hook, line, and sinker, and Paul is sitting, writing this out, and he's got the stinking books in front of him. Galatians 1. He talks about the angels preaching to the Gentiles. Galatians is one of his first books written. Where in the world do you read in Scripture about a Gentile being preached to by an angel in heaven? Revelation chapter 14. So then what has Paul been reading? Revelation 14. Oh no, AD 70, come on. Don't you know? Come on! You don't believe the book. 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. <clears throat> and look, I'm not trying to be mean with anyone, but or angry. I'm not angry with anybody. It just, you gotta read and believe the verses. Because we get baggage along the way that you gotta just cut the tie. Now watch how this was to be done. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 27. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all, now watch the title carefully, the holy brethren. What's that word holy? Sanctified. Saint. Set apart. These are holy brethren, not just brethren. That's, I read that and I pause big time. This is not about actions and activities in life. Oh, we're holier than thou because we wore the Chicago Blackhawks and you wore that other chump train. No. This is about who are you? Who do you know you are? He, just start, he starts 1 Thessalonians 1. Look at this, 1 Thessalonians 1. 
Verse number four. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as we know what manner of men we were among you for your sakes. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord. They didn't go after all that religious activity going on around them, which was the Jews attacking them in Thessalonica. He calls them the elect of God. There's no great dissertation about the election of God and the elect and the foreknowledge. They know who they are. He calls them holy brethren. This group is easy to get into. It's called Calvary. But when you start rightly dividing that word, when you start saying, hey, we have the word. Now you become one of the holy brethren. The command by Paul in the, in the first book he writes, 1 Thessalonians 5, 27, is that all the holy brethren read it. So he would literally, what would happen, he writes it, goes to the city, and then they would just make the course. Along the way, all the local assemblies were getting, and he had a circuit. He had a route. Come over to Galatians 1. Galatians 1. He had a route that, that was, to, was the design of the book to go out and the multiplicity of copies to be made. Galatians 1. You guys with me? Hopefully you get fired up like I do, but I'll let you be with you. You know, you're going to get fired up in a little bit over a team that you, who could care. You know, Nick and I were talking last night. We get all worked up in these games, and yet tomorrow morning you still got to go to work. They go to a holiday. What? You know, wait a minute. I don't know. Maybe they ought to make tomorrow a holiday, you know. Galatians 1, look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and the God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatians. Plurality. When he wrote the book of Galatians, it was to be copied and caused to be read by all the holy brethren. And you know what? There was more than one church of Galatia. There was a churches. So what happened? The Gift of the prophet would sit, make out, he's got the original, say, this is ours. I didn't give nobody the original. Could you imagine if you wrote an epistle to Southwest Bible Fellowship, and we said, ah, we don't need that, we'll just chunk it. No, uh-uh, we're keeping this one, but we're going to make a copy, and we're going to send it over here to the guys across town. They're going to make a copy, and, it, and copies are made and distributed. All were to read the book, it went on the circuit. Come over to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. I figure if I entertain you for a while, you'll stay. <laughs> you know, Colossians chapter 4. Folks, I do this because when we look at this book, we're looking at God face to face. Colossians 4, verse 15. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read. How, how do we cause it? We're going to make a copy of it. 
also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. They're going to circulate it around, aren't they? They're going to make a copy, send that one over. Laodicea, the prophet over there, says, yep, this is the book, this is the word. We'll make a copy, we're going to send it over here to the Philippi, and we're going to send it over here, we're going to send it, and we're just going to, that, book, that bad boy's going to go all the way around. And then Peter says, hey, by the way, I get a copy. You know, he's plugged into Paul. I get a copy. Luke is with Paul. I get a copy. Everybody's got a copy. We got copies. The process is the same. The people are different. Now, come with me to 1 Corinthians 14. Let's talk about us today. Because, again, to get into the church, the body of Christ, is rather simple. You just simply have to trust Calvary, don't the redemptive work at Calvary. And you're in. He would have all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The and is the second step, but a lot of times people don't do that. I'll be honest with you. When we get to heaven's glory, we're going to be surprised by the amount of people that are there at the rapture events that we go, wow, what? because how'd they get there? They just trust the gospel. Watch 1 Corinthians 14. Let's talk about today. Verse 37. Let's 36. Oh, yeah, 36. What? Came the word of God out from you, or came it unto you only? If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. That verse is very weighty in its context, talking about the gift system and everything, okay? But when, you begin, when I begin to think about the Bible, when, you, when people, when church, when Christendom read the epistles of Paul, they do not think that they are the commandments of the Lord. They don't. Listen to them. They, they think the commandments of the Lord are what? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Acts and Paul's epistles are just talking about how, how you ought to live and be a good guy. And this thing called grace. What does Paul say they are? They are the commandments of the Lord. What does Paul tell us in 2 Timothy 2.15? Come on, folks, study that book. How are you going to study the word? How are you going to study the commandments I give to you? You're going to rightly divide the word of truth, right? Come over to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3. You see, folks, I said a minute ago, we'll narrow this down. We're going to say we have the word for English-speaking people in the King James Bible. And by the way, I always say English-speaking people because there are people that don't speak English that guess what they have? They do have the word of God in their language. I'm not worried about those guys. I'm worried about me and us. Let's get it here, okay? I know people all across this world that use a Bible that will not say identically the same thing as your King James does, but guess where it came from? The majority text. It just moved from Greek and Hebrew into their language. It is not going to be identical to here. You follow that? When you think about the church, the body of Christ at large, Following the Apostle Paul and the distinctive ministry given to Paul is going to be critical. 
isn't it? That's why we have to be that believing remnant. Thinking and talking about the grace life and how to live life and, and the issues of the grace doctrines and the sound doctrines. Not, how many of you listen to guys and you can just you know, pray it and it'll get there? Ask and you shall receive. Knock and it shall be. Every time I knocked, it slammed shut. <laughs> you know. Paul comes along and he says, no, we don't do that. No, this is what's going on. This is how God's working. This, prayer, healing. Oh, my goodness. Folks, we have the best healing program there ever was. We do. Way better than Israel's program. But you got to get in there and study that and look at it and watch it. Go, wow. You know, we had a neighbor. Um, you got to get the First Timothy 3. We had a neighbor down the street, bless her heart, nicest, dearest lady ever, but she was in the Benny Hen like all 40. Her mom got cancer. They literally followed that man all over the country, down into Mexico, everywhere trying to be healed. And I'm sitting there going, he, God doesn't work that way. If he did, there would be no... He would empty out everything. And she's like, but Rick, this verse says, and I'm like, yeah, but rightly dividing the word, that's not to you, it's not talking to you, it's not about you, all this stuff. And she just, I pulled my hair, I, you know, it's like, ah. Finally, she got tired of me and they moved away. <laughs> Sold the house and moved away. Well, really, the husband got transferred. <laughs> but I've, I always like to, she, I got her, finally, <laughs> you know. You find that with Paul, folks. Watch, look at 1 Timothy 3. So the question is, who then? Here we are. We understand the word rightly divided. We understand Paul's distinctive ministry and message. 1 Timothy 3, verse 14, Paul writes to him. He says, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto you shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Are we the church of the living God? The answer is yes. We are. He's not talking about the building. He's talking about us. The pillar and the ground of the truth. The local church that Timothy is involved in. The pillar and the ground of the truth. The word of God was committed to the local church to be taught and to be distributed through. The local assembly is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And by the way, just so you know what a local assembly is, there's bishops and deacons that make up the leadership. So a local assembly is an organized entity. All the nonsense out there about don't be organized. Sorry. That local assembly's job is to be the pillar and the ground. We are responsible for maintaining the truth. And when you look down through history, especially the history of the King James Bible, you see local assemblies carrying that mantle and taking it on. Could you imagine being called the Polynesians and people wonder why you're called the Polynesians? Who do you think those guys followed? Paul. And you know what they used? They used a, King, a predecessor to the King James Bible. 
Oh, oh my goodness. Folks, we're the pillar and the ground of the truth. We are the holy brethren. That's who we are. The local church is the one that's going to hold the word of God up, rightly divided. That's who it is. That's you and I. That's us. We're the ones that are going to, Romans eleven thirteen. Paul is the apostle of the Gentiles. We're the ones that are going to go, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, follow me as I have followed Christ. We're the ones that are going to look at it and go, uh, 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 2 Timothy two fifteen. study that word and be not ashamed of it and study it, rightly dividing the word of truth. We're going to be the ones that 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2, are going to manifest the truth to every man's conscience. We're going to be the ones that don't corrupt the word of God. It's got to fall on our shoulders. And you may say, but just ours? No. All of those who follow the issues that I just read to you, <laughs> it comes to our responsibility. Give me five minutes. The Bible Project, it falls to you and I, falls to our responsibility. Today, 2020, 0202, 2020, <laughs> I wanted to say that for the record, okay? <laughs> the King James Bible suffers on the market. I started the message, the market of commerce. We need to keep it in the market of place of ideas. We need to sit and to think about and to look and to identify a standard in the King James Bible. What I mean by that is when you begin to look at the different King James Bibles out there, you know what you quickly find? They're not all the same. Okay? We need to identify a standard. And I'm going to, let me say it like this. We need to be able to recommend, not require, but recommend a standard, okay? That's going to take some doing. I mentioned in our congregational meeting about Cambridge and Oxford, but you know that those two books aren't the same. They got little spelling differences here and there. So that's going to take some issue of looking at those differences and then looking at the doctrine and make sure those differences aren't impacting the doctrine. I bring up the Cambridge and the Oxford because they are copyrighted by the crown. Okay? They're the only two that, have, that hold the crown's copyright. You come into American, American history, and you study down through that, you'll see that the King James Bible in America is not copyrighted. So then guess what? It, there falls in there. Some changes. So we need to identify the standard. Today in technology, some of you guys are using tablets and apps and Study aids on your tablets. We need to identify those technology apps and softwares so that we can recommend that they match the standard. Follow that? We need to do that. We need to do it for ourselves first. We need to support or cause the continuation of the printing of, a, of the King James Bible. There are groups out there that print the word, that do it right, that do it good. Hey, I'd rather give my money to them than to somebody who's, I looked on, on a book, christianbooks.com, almost every one of their King James Bible has the words of Christ in red. That is a marketing ploy. 
Because who spoke the whole book? Christ did. We need to identify that. Again, we'll never win in that marketplace out there. But we'll win in the marketplace of ideas. We need to take some time. Make a committee, whatever needs to happen. And we need to say, hey, here's a standard that we're going to use. Here's the technology apps. I've got four apps on my phone. And in one verse, all four are different. And all four of them differ from my book in front of me. By the way, my book in front of me is a Cambridge. I'm like, oh, okay. Now, the difference isn't major, but it's still different. I've got a study app software that I use because they have great maps. <laughs> okay? You need to identify that need to recognize it. We need to do that. We really do. Not because we need to be the final authority on anything, but we, the local assembly, our responsibility is to preserve his word and to cause it to be duplicated and to cause it to be distributed. And we need to do that. I understand printing press are expensive. I got that. I'm not talking about starting, you know, swbfprinting.com. I'm just talking about look at what we have. Let's identify it. If you're interested in it, if you're interested in doing that, you need to let me know so we can begin to kind of form a group to do. You can do it on your own and you can say, hey, Rick, I found these. That's great. Send them to me. Send them in an email. We'll print them. We'll put them in the pile, okay? This is all of us working together to do. This is something that no one else is doing right now in our circles at all, period. Okay? I, th I think it's an area that the, uh, that the church, the body of Christ, that knows better, that rightly divides the word, has dropped the ball. Where's everybody today? They're on that electronic device. They're over here doing this. And nowhere is the word of God in that. We can say, hey, here's where the Word of God is. Follow me? The last thing I would hate to do is for us to be the last ones to hold the book in our lap because we failed to do our duty. Our job here. We have young people. We've got babies being born. All this stuff coming. And it would be a, a very hard day to say, oh, okay. We need to have a shelf in the back. We will have a shelf with Bibles on it. We're going to be purchasing some so that people can say, hey, I need a Bible. They're right there, okay? Uh, uh, one of the brothers was showing me a Bible from Walmart for 25 bucks. Right on. It's good. Black-lettered. Woo-hoo, we're, we're good, you know, and it's, and it's right. So hit every Walmart, 25 bucks. Buy five of them. There's $100 for the cost. Follow, it's not that hard, Okay. Why? Because our job is to do what? Preserve that book. You follow me? Or as they would say, you feel me? Okay? Don't feel me. <laughs> Just catch on what we're doing, all right? God promised to keep it. He's got a process in doing it, and he always has a group of people to do it. We're that group of people, folks. And one of the components of the work of the ministry is to cause all the holy brethren to read it. Okay? 
All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the day, Lord. We thank you for the folks. Thank you for their patience, for their willingness to sit and to be taught and to look at these things and to consider them. And Lord, I just pray that as we hold your word and as we study it, that we'll realize that we're talking to you and with you face to face, and we'll just enjoy that intimate relationship that we have with you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you.